If you're listening to this podcast on YouTube, for a better experience, switch to the video version. The link is in the top right corner of the video and in the episode description. Hello and welcome, I'm Fernando, a GP in the UK. Today, we're going to go through the interpretation of full-blood counts, including follow-up management, always focusing on what is relevant in primary care only. I will be covering several areas, that is, review of hematological indices, polycythemia, anemia, thrombocytosis, thrombocytopenia, neutrophilia, neutropenia, lymphocytosis, lymphopenia, eosinophilia, and monocytosis. I have based this episode on a variety of sources, primarily hematological guidance by Camden CCG, Manchester Foundation Trust, and King's Health Partners, although other sources like Medscape and GP Notebook were also reviewed. I have put links to them in the episode description. They are worth having a look at, as they have flowcharts and other information that you might find useful. Make sure to stay for the entire episode, because at the end, I will tell you how to access my summary of the recommendations, which I hope that you will find helpful. Right, there's a lot of information to cover, so let's jump into it. I will now go through the blood indices on the full blood count, and I will also touch on iron investigations such as ferritin and total iron binding capacity. So let's look at them one at a time. The platelet count gives us the absolute number of platelets. The mean platelet volume, or MPV, gives us the average size of platelets. New platelets are larger, and an increased MPV occurs when increased number of platelets are being produced. For example, during infection or inflammation, the white blood cell count, or WBC, gives the absolute number of white blood cells present. Leukocytosis is when the white cell count is raised, and leukopenia when it is low. In these situations, we need to look at the subtypes of the white cells, that is, we need to look at the white cell count differential, which looks at the number and proportion of the different types of white blood cells. We have five types, neutrophils, lymphocytes, monocytes, eosinophils, and basophils. The red blood cell count, or RPC, is the absolute number of red cells. It is an important value, but we often rely on other red blood indices to interpret the results correctly. Hemoglobin, or Hb, is crucial for the diagnosis of anemia, but again, other indices are needed for the final interpretation. The hematocrit, or HCT, measures how much volume is taken up by red blood cells, and it is expressed either as a percentage, that is from 0 to 100, or as a proportion, that is from 0 to 1. The hematocrit is therefore influenced not only by the number of red blood cells, but also the amount of plasma present. The mean corpuscular volume, or MCV, refers to the average size of each red blood cell. An elevated MCV, or macrocytosis, is when the red blood cells are larger than normal, for example in vitamin B12 or folic acid deficiency. A low MCV, or microcytosis, is when the red blood cells are smaller than normal, which may indicate, for example, iron deficiency anemia. The mean corpuscular hemoglobin, or MCH, measures the average hemoglobin per red cell. Since macrocytic or larger red blood cells tend to carry more hemoglobin than normal, they would normally have higher MCH values. The mean corpuscular hemoglobin concentration, or MCHC, is about concentration, that is, the amount of hemoglobin relative to the size of a cell. 
a decreased MCHC or hyperchromia, a thinning condition such as iron deficiency anemia, chronic inflammation or thalassemia. An increased MCHC or hyperchromia is seen when the hemoglobin is abnormally concentrated in the cells, such as in spherocytosis. The red cell distribution width, or RDW, measures how uniform the red cells are in size. A high RDW indicates a mix of small and large cells, which can happen in some anemias, such as iron deficiency or vitamin B12 deficiency. An increase in RDW happens when red blood cells have different sizes, also called anisocytosis, or different shapes, also called poikilocytosis. Ferritin is the most useful indicator of iron deficiency, as it can drop before any decrease in levels of iron in the blood occurs. Ferritin is the main form of iron storage and is present mostly in the liver. Ferritin levels are low in long-term iron deficiency. Ferritin may also be decreased if protein levels are very low, like in malnutrition. Ferritin is high in states of iron overload, especially in hemochromatosis. However, ferritin can be high for a number of other reasons, including inflammatory conditions, infection and liver disease. Total iron binding capacity, or TIBC, measures the total capacity to bind iron in the blood. TIBC correlates with the amount of transferrin, and while both tests, TIBC and transferrin, are different, they measure essentially the same thing, and most laboratories only measure one or the other. The amount of transferrin transporting iron is called transferrin saturation. Iron deficiency results in a low transferrin saturation, but an increased total iron binding capacity. In iron overload, such as hemochromatosis, iron transferrin saturations will be high and TIBC will be low or normal. Because transferrin is made in the liver, TIBC and transferrin will also be low in liver disease. Now let's start looking at the different hematological conditions and the first section refers to polycythemia. Polycythemia is judged on the basis of hematocrit and it can be diagnosed if the hematocrit is above 0.52 in men and 0.48 in women. Polycythemia is also sometimes referred to as erythrocytosis, but this is not always correct. Why? Well, erythrocytosis indicates an excess number of erythrocytes or red blood cells, and as we have said, polycythemia is judged on hematocrit, not red blood cells. And this is because there are two types of polycythemia. Absolute polycythemia, that is when erythrocytosis is present, and relative or apparent polycythemia, which is when this is not the case. For example, in apparent or relative polycythemia, the hematocrit increases as a result of a reduced plasma volume rather than an increased red blood cell mass. It is common in obese men and it is also associated with smoking, diuretics, alcohol, hypertension, stress and dehydration. Despite the potentially reversible causes, these patients are also at risk of occlusive vascular episodes. On the other hand, we have absolute polycythemia, which can be primary or secondary. The primary cause is polycythemia vera. Well over 90% of polycythemia vera patients have an acquired mutation in a gene called JAK2 that regulates erythropoiesis. These patients do not need as much erythropoietin to drive red cell production, so the features of polycythemia vera 
RA positive test to the JAK2 mutation, and in low serum erythropoietin level. It also has L-O-ferritin secondary to the excess production of red cells, which consumes a significant amount of iron. Being a myeloproliferative disorder, it can also sometimes be associated with raised white blood cells and or platelets. Secondary polycythemia is due to the physiological response to increased erythropoietin levels. It can be an appropriate response to hypoxia, like in COPD, heart disease and smoking, or to an inappropriate response due to an erythropoietin-producing tumour, like in some renal and liver tumours or fibroids. Other possible causes are anabolic steroids and testosterone therapy, as androgens can also stimulate erythropoietin production. In cases of secondary polycythemia, the JAK2 mutation is negative, erythropoietin levels are high, and ferritin, white blood cells and platelets are normal. Criteria for urgent referral are hematocrit of more than 0.6 in men or more than 0.56 in women, or also if there's a recent thrombosis, abnormal bleeding or neurological or visual symptoms. If the criteria for urgent referral are not met, we should confirm the results by repeating the blood test. In order to differentiate between apparent and absolute polycythemia, the blood samples should be uncuffed and we should ensure that the patient has not fasted, is well hydrated and has been advised about alcohol and smoking. In this blood test, we should request a repeat from blood count, a blood film and screen for diabetes, hyperlipidemia and hypertension, checking HbA1c, lipids, ferritin, renal and liver function tests. Additionally, if we suspect absolute polycythemia, we should also request genetic testing for the JAK2 mutation and do erythropoietin levels. Criteria for routine referral are unexplained persistently elevated hematocrits above 0.52 in men or 0.48 in women, taking into account that we should refer at lower limits if there is associated iron deficiency. Persistently means at least two readings above these levels, four weeks apart. Alternatively, routine referral is also justified if the hematocrit is above 0.52 in men or 0.48 in women without waiting for a second test if there are associated symptoms of concern like pruritus, raised white blood cells and or platelets, splenomegaly or if there is a past, not recent history of arterial or venous thrombosis. Right, let's move on to the next chapter which is a very important and common one. Anemia. Anemia presents as a low hemoglobin and is not a disease in itself, but may reflect an underlying disease process. It may also result from an increasing plasma volume and a dilutional effect like in pregnancy. There may be local variations in the thresholds for diagnosis, but the WHO uses the following hemoglobin thresholds to define anemia at sea level in adults. Women, 12, register 11 in pregnancy and men 13. So I will be using these thresholds in this episode. Also, I will be focusing on what we normally see in primary care, that is chronic anemia, rather than anemia secondary to acute bleeding requiring admission. Hospital admission will also be required with very severe anemias, for example, when the HP is less than 50, or even at higher levels if the patient is very symptomatic. The first thing to look for after a low hemoglobin is the mean corpuscular volume or MCV. 
depending on this value, the anemia can be described as microcytic if the MCV is below 80, macrocytic if it is over 100, and normocytic if it is between 80 and 100, bearing in mind that there may be mixed deficiencies, so we should look at the whole picture. So let's look at the microcytic anemias first. The most common cause of microcytosis is iron deficiency, so we will repeat the football account and check the patient's iron status. As we said earlier, ferritin can be an acute phase reactant, so it can be raised in cases like, for example, inflammation, malignancy, alcohol excess, liver or renal disease, and infection. If we suspect any of this, we should check ferritin together with iron studies or transferrin saturation to get a clearer picture. If the ferritin is above 50 and transferrin saturation is above 20%, then iron deficiency can be excluded. In that situation, we will consider hemoglobinopathy screening in order to exclude thalassemia or other hemoglobin variants. And if positive, we will refer to hematology as necessary. If the hemoglobinopathy screen is normal or if testing is not considered necessary, then we will think about the following conditions. 1. Anemia of chronic disease and we will look for causes of chronic inflammation, for example, autoimmune diseases, malignancy or tuberculosis, endocrine problems, for example, hypothyroidism, hypopituitarism, or Addison's, and other conditions such as CKD, liver disease, and malnutrition. 2. Myelodysplastic syndrome, usually presenting as lone, unexplained, persistent anemia. And 3. We will also consider hemochromatosis when ferritin is raised and we will refer to the appropriate service if necessary. On the other hand, if ferritin is below 30 or below 100 with transferrin saturation less than 20%, we will regard it as iron deficiency anemia. We will then inquire about upper and lower GI symptoms, and we will consider an urgent cancer referral for upper and lower gastrointestinal endoscopy after requesting a fit test. If there are red flag symptoms, there is an unexplained drop in HP to below 110 in men and below 100 in non-menstruating women, or if there's a strong family history of colorectal cancer, that is, two first-degree relatives with a diagnosis or one first-degree relative with a diagnosis before the age of 50. If there are no criteria for urgent referral and the cause of the iron deficiency is unknown, we will look for other possible causes, for example, testing for celiac serology, and refer to gastroenterology if it is positive, inquire about heavy menstrual bleeding, consider dietary courses, do your analysis to test for hematuria as 1% of iron deficiency anemia have a renal malignancy, do stool testing for parasitology, and we will also consider aspirin, NSAIDs and anticoagulants as an aggravating factor, but we will still investigate these patients fully. When the cause of the iron deficiency anemia is known, we will give iron therapy and treat the underlying cause accordingly, and then we check the HP and ferritin within three months. If the deficiency has not resolved and it is not due to menstrual loss, we will refer to gastroenterology or other specialist services depending on the presentation and our clinical judgment. Let's now look at macrocytic anemias, that is, when the MCV is over 100. If there is macrocytosis, with or without anemia, we should consider some of the possible causes, 
and check alcohol intake, inquire about family history, review medication that could cause it, for example, methotrexate, metformin, and some anticonvulsants, amongst others. And remember that a high MCB can be a normal physiological finding in pregnancy. Initial investigations will include a repeat full blood count, a blood fill, vitamin B12 and folate levels, renal and liver function tests, including gamma GT, thyroid function tests, ferritin, iron studies, myeloma screen, including bone profile, seroimmunoglobulins, seroflurane light chains and urinary benzogen protein. And finally, we will also check the reticulocyte count and LDH levels, looking for evidence of hemolysis. Bearing in mind that markers of hemolysis include a raised reticulocyte count, a high bilirubin and a high LDH. Criteria for urgent referral to hematology are leukorhizoblastic features or blasts seen on blood film, unexplained symptomatic and progressive anemia, and if there is associated splenomegaly, lymphadenopathy or other significant cytopenias. If the urgent criteria are not met, we will then act on the results and refer the patient accordingly. That is, if the reticulocyte count is high, we will look for evidence of bleeding or hemolysis and refer to the appropriate department. If there is CKD-related anemia, we will refer to the renal team. If the thyroid function tests are abnormal, we will treat the dysfunction and repeat the full right count four to six weeks later. If vitamin B12 and or folate levels are low, we will treat the deficiencies and assess for the underlying cause. For example, in vitamin B12 deficiency, we will check for intrinsic factor antibodies and parietal cells antibodies and treat as pernicious anemia if positive. And in both vitamin B12 and folate deficiencies, we will do a celiac screen. Criteria for routine hematology referral are if paraprotein is detected, if all results are normal, but there is persistent unexplained anemia. If there is persistent unexplained microcytosis with MCV greater than 100, as this can be a feature of myelodysplasia. If there is persistent unexplained vitamin B12 deficiency, because persistent unexplained vitamin B12 deficiency can also carry myelodysplasia. If there is anemia with associated abnormalities in other blood cells. If the reticulocyte count is low or the picture is unclear, and if there is an abnormal blood film. Finally, let's now look at normocytic anemias, that is when the MCV is between 80 and 100. Possible causes of normocytic anemias are a mixed hematinic deficiency, myelodysplasia, recent blood loss, anemia of chronic disease like in chronic inflammation, endocrine problems, other conditions such as CKD, liver disease or malnutrition, and hemochromatosis if ferritin is raised. In these cases, we will investigate similarly to the microcytic anemias. That is, we will check the following. A repeat full blood count, a blood film, vitamin B12 and folate levels, renal and liver function tests, including gamma GT, thyroid function tests, ferritin, iron studies, myeloma screen, and finally, we will also check the reticulocyte count and LDH levels, looking for evidence of hemolysis. And we will act on the results and refer the patient accordingly. 
The next section refers to thrombocytosis or a raised platelet count above 450. Possible causes of thrombocytosis are iron deficiency anemia, malignancies, especially the lego cancers, that is, lung, endometrium, gastric and esophageal cancers, inflammation, infection, post-splenectomy and hyposplenism, like in celiac disease, postoperative situations, and finally, a primary myeloproliferative disorder. But before moving on, let's clarify a concept. Should we call it thrombocytosis or thrombocythemia? Well, in fact, there is a difference. In summary, thrombocytosis is more common and arises as a secondary response, and therefore it is also referred to as reactive thrombocytosis. On the other hand, thrombocythemia, also referred to as primary or essential thrombocythemia, is less common and is a myeloproliferative disorder. Another key difference is that people with reactive thrombocytosis have normal platelets and therefore also have a lower risk of blood clots and bleeding, whereas those with thrombocythemia have abnormal platelets and also have a higher risk of clots and bleeding. Thrombocythemia often presents with splenomegaly and a platelet count over a thousand. Therefore, criteria for urgent hematological referral are if the platelet count exceeds a thousand, there is splenomegaly, there's a recent history of thromboembolism, the platelet count is over 600 and the patient is at high risk of thromboembolism or cardiovascular disease, there are neurological symptoms, there is abnormal bleeding, there are any signs of malignancy, or there is any other significant abnormality in the full blood count. If the urgent referral criteria are not present, we will then look for causes by doing the following initial investigations. A repeat full blood count, a blood film, inflammatory markers like ESR and CRP, ferritin and iron studies, and we will also consider a celiac screen as it can be associated with thrombocytosis. If a patient is asymptomatic and there is no obvious cause, we will repeat the full blood count four to six weeks later. If the thrombocytosis persists more than 450, we will refer to hematology routinely. The next section is thrombocytopenia, which is defined as a low platelet count below 150. We need to remember that thrombocytopenia can frequently be an artifact stemming from platelet clumping rather than reflecting an actual decrease in platelet count. We should always confirm it with a second full blood count and a blood film report. We will inquire about travel, drugs and alcohol because possible causes of thrombocytopenia include alcohol excess, recreational drugs, malaria, TB, liver and renal disease, medications for example NSAIDs, heparin, digoxin, quinine, antiepileptics, antipsychotics and PPIs, vitamin B12 and folate deficiency, viral infections including Epstein-Barr virus, which it usually results within a few weeks, HIV and hepatitis B and C, malignancy, bone marrow failure like in aplastic anemias, immune thrombocytopenic purpura or ITP, and autoimmune diseases like SLE. Baseline investigations will include a repeat full blood count, a blood film, vitamin B12 and folate levels, ferritin and iron studies, inflammatory markers such as ESR and CRP, autoimmune profile, renal, liver and thyroid function tests, HIV, 
hepatitis B and C serology, and any other test suggested by the clinical history or examination findings. We should arrange a hospital urgent same-day assessment if the platelet count is less than 20 with active bleeding, an abnormal blood film like blasts of fragments in the blood film, or an altered conscious level or confusion. We should make an urgent referral to hematology if the platelet count is between 50 and 100 and there is splenomegaly, lymphadenopathy, other cytopenias, the patient is pregnant or there is upcoming surgery, or if the platelet count is less than 50, in which case we will stop all antiplatelet agents and anticoagulants as it would be unsafe to continue. If the platelet count is over 50 and the urgent referral criteria are not present, we will repeat the full blood count after four to six weeks and refer to hematology routinely if the thrombocytopenia persists and remains unexplained. Now, let's have a look at neutrophilia, which is when the neutrophil count is raised, that is, over 7.5. Infection is the most common cause, but other possible causes are inflammation, steroids, pregnancy, smoking, underlying malignancy, including lymphoma and leukemia, connective tissue disease like rheumatoid arthritis, bleeding, hemolysis, hypoxia, and tissue damage including infarction. If the cause is unclear, we will investigate further by doing a repeat full blood count, a blood film, inflammatory markers such as ESR and CRP, renal and liver function tests, autoimmune screen, and any other tests led by history. Criteria for urgent hematology referral will include a high suspicion of leukemia because of a leucorifoblastic film or an absolute neutrophil count or ANC greater than 50. We will make an early routine hematology referral, that is, without waiting for a repeat full blood count, if the neutrophil count is more than 15 and there is splenomegaly or there are other full blood count abnormalities. Otherwise, we will repeat the full blood count six weeks later and we will refer to hematology routinely if the neutrophilia persists and remains unexplained. Let's now look at neutropenia, which is when the neutrophil count is low. A normal neutrophil count in adults is from 2 to 7.5. However, an isolated low neutrophil count is very common, and a neutrophil count between 1.5 to 2, whilst below the normal range, is unlikely to be of any clinical significance. Also, people of Afro-Caribbean or Middle Eastern ethnicity have a lower normal range between 1 and 1.8, which is also referred to as constitutional or ethnic neutropenia. This is of no clinical consequence and we should only refer them if the neutrophil count is below 1. For everybody else, and for the purpose of this episode, we will say that neutropenia is when the neutrophil count is below 1.5. Possible causes of neutropenia are drugs, for example phenytoin, carbimazole, antipsychotics and cotrimoxazole, malignancy like myeloma, bone marrow infiltration and chemo or radiotherapy, vitamin B12 and O folate deficiency, iron deficiency, autoimmune diseases, any viral infection including Epstein-Barr virus, HIV and hepatitis B and C, excess alcohol, liver disease and cirrhosis, and, as already mentioned, the ethnic variation in people of Afro-Caribbean and Middle Eastern descent. We should send the patient to hospital as an emergency if there's any evidence of sepsis, 
the neutrophil count is less than one, and the patient is on chemotherapy, there is lymphadenopathy, there is splenomegaly, or there is any other cytopenia. We should make an urgent hematological referral on a cancer pathway if the neutrophil count is below 0.5 and the patient is otherwise well. If the neutrophil count is greater than 0.5 and the patient is well, we will repeat the blood test within one week and investigate the cause by doing a repeat full blood count, a blood film, vitamin B12 on folate levels, ferritin and iron studies, autoimmune screen, HIV and hepatitis B and C serology. If the patient is well and the cause remains unknown, we will refer to hematology urgently if the neutrophil count remains below 1, but if the neutrophil count is between 1 and 1.5, we will monitor the football account for 4 to 6 weeks and refer to hematology routinely if the neutrophil count remains below 1.5 or 1 in Afro-Caribbean or Middle Eastern patients. There are other full-blown count anomalies, or there is a history of infections or ulcers. The next section refers to lymphocytosis, which is when the lymphocyte count is high, that is more than 3.5. Possible causes of lymphocytosis are viral infections, especially glandular fever, but also others such as measles, mumps, rubella, Epstein-Barr virus, and cytomegalovirus. Bacterial infections, for example, pertussis infection or whooping cough. Lymphoproliferative disorders, such as acute or chronic lymphatic leukemia or non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Post-splenectomy, rheumatoid arthritis, smoking, stress and vigorous exercise. If there are features of acute or recent viral illness and the patient is otherwise well, we will repeat the full blood count once resolved after four or six weeks. We will refer to hematology urgently if the lymphocytosis is greater than 20. There are other cytopenias. There is lymphadenopathy. There is splenomegaly. Or if there are B symptoms, that is, unexplained fever more than 38, drenching night sweats, and weight loss. Otherwise, if the lymphocyte count is more than 5, we will repeat the blood test in 4 to 6 weeks and investigate the cause by doing a repeat full blood count, a blood film, inflammatory markers such as ESR and CRP, glandular fever screen or other virology serology were indicated due to the clinical presentation and we will also request immunophenotyping screen. And after this, we will refer to hematology routinely if the lymphocytosis persists and remains unexplained. The next section is lymphopenia, when the lymphocyte count is low, that is below 1. Possible causes of lymphopenia are elderly patients, excess alcohol, malnutrition, medication, for example, steroids and chemotherapy, infection, including Legionella, HIV, and hepatitis B and C, and bear in mind that postviral lymphopenia is common, malignancy, for example, lymphoma, bone marrow infiltration, and myeloma, and we should consider a myeloma screen if there are suggestive symptoms renal or hepatic impairment, autoimmune conditions like rheumatoid arthritis and SLE, sarcoidosis, anorexia nervosa, and primary immune deficiency. We will refer to hematology urgently if the lymphocyte count is less than 1, and there are red flags. Red flag signs in lymphopenia are recurrent infections or P-symptoms, that is, unexplained fever more than 38, 
drenching night sweats and weight loss. If there are no red flags, we will do a new blood test in six weeks and look for causes. So we will do a repeat for blood count, a blood fill, renal and liver function tests, inflammatory markers such as ESR and CRP, autoimmune profile, viral serology as appropriate depending on the clinical presentation, and the myeloma screen if symptoms justify it. If a course is found, we will refer to the appropriate specialist department. However, if it persists and remains unexplained, we will refer routinely to hematology. There may be times when, if the lymphocyte count is more than 0.5 and the patient is more than 70 years of age and otherwise well, we could consider just monitoring the full blood count, but this will depend on our clinical judgment. The next section refers to eosinophilia, when the eosinophil count is high. There may be local variations in the threshold, but in general, eosinophilia is defined as a eosinophil count over 0.5. Example of possible causes of eosinophilia are asthma, skin disease like eczema, atopic dermatitis, urticaria and psoriasis, infections, especially those due to parasites like hookworm, schistosomiasis and giardiasis, fungal infections as well as TB and malaria, drugs such as penicillin, allopurinol, amitriptyline and cabamazepine, but in fact any drug is a possible cause. Connective tissue disease like rheumatoid arthritis and polyarthritis nodosa. Solid malignancies, for example, breast, renal, stomach and lung cancer. Myeloproliferative disorders like leukemia and lymphoma. Respiratory diseases such as bronchiectasis and cystic fibrosis. Endocrine conditions like Addison's and post-splenectomy. If a eosinophil count is more than 2.5, we will look for signs of organ damage and consider urgent admission if there are red flags, like severe symptoms secondary to organ involvement, like difficulty breathing, chest pains, abdominal pain, or neurological symptoms, or other complications such as tissue damage, venous thromboembolism, or end organ damage like acute kidney injury or heart failure. Criteria for urgent referral to hematology are leukoerythroblastic film or an absolute eosinophil count more than 5. If the eosinophil count is more than 0.5 and the patient is well, we will check the travel and drug history and check for any evidence of atopy. We will then repeat the blood test within one or two weeks and look for possible causes. Initial investigations will include a repeat for blood count, a blood film, inflammatory markers like ASR and CRP, immunoglobulin A, autoimmune profile, renal and liver function tests, burn profile, LDH, vitamin B12 and folate levels, a chest X-ray, for example if TB or pulmonary sarcoidosis is suspected, stool culture for ova, cysts and parasites, serological antibodies for threadworm or other nematode infection, and serological antibodies for schistosomiasis, depending on the travel history and after discussion with microbiology. If the cause is found, we will treat it accordingly. However, we will refer to hematology routinely if the eosinophilia remains unexplained and it is more than 1.5 for three months or longer, or if it is rising without an obvious cause. 
The final section refers to monocytosis when the monocyte count is raised, that is over 0.8. Possible causes of monocytosis include CMML or chronic myelomonocytic leukemia, myelodysplasia, Hodgkin's lymphoma, and infections such as malaria, tuberculosis, brucellosis, infective endocarditis, and rickettsial infections. Criteria for urgent hematology referral would be evidence of chronic myelomonocytic leukemia features on blood film, a persistently raised monocyte count more than 1.5, which is typical of CMML, associated cytopenias, particularly if involving multiple blood cell lineages, or there is any other clinical suspicion of hematological malignancy. If the monocyte count is more than 0.8 and the patient is well, we will check the travel history and check for any evidence of malignancy. We will then repeat the blood test and look for possible causes. Initial investigations could include a repeat full blood count, a blood film, inflammatory markers like ESR and CRP, any investigation as appropriate based on clinical suspicion, for example, HST X-ray to screen for TB, malaria parasites, and serological tests for infectious diseases such as Brucella, Epstein-Barr virus, and Cytomeganovirus. If the monocytosis remains unexplained and over 0.8, we will refer to hematology. Well, this is the end of the clinical scenarios. I have created a quick reference guide based on the guidance by Camden CCG, Manchester Foundation Trust and King's Health Partners, which you're welcome to have a look at. Where there was a discrepancy between their guidance, I have generally opted for the most conservative approach. For example, a one neutropenia guideline recommends referral if the neutrophil count is less than one, and another when it is below 1.5. My summary will indicate below 1.5. If you are in any doubt, please consult the original guidance or seek local specialist guidance. I have included links to the sources consulted in the document itself, which you will be able to download in the episode description. We have come to the end of this episode. Remember that this is not medical advice and it is only my summary and my interpretation of the guidelines. You must always use your clinical judgment. Thank you for listening and goodbye.